This sermon audio is presented to you by Pastor Tommy Brandon and Calvary Church of Fort Worth. For more information, visit our website at calvaryftw.com. All right, last week we kicked off this Sunday's teaching time called Life in the Spirit, and we're going to keep pressing forward here today. Uh, last Sunday, I emphasized one little word called fellowship. If you were with us last week, we talked about the word fellowship. Today, I want to change that up for our little subtopic. It's, it's these words, continuing, here, let me read my own notes, a continuing journey, a continuing journey. And I am wanting to do something today uh, by the help of the Lord. I want to reach back into history, into your Old Testament and show you how some of that was fulfilled in the New Testament. And I really think that you're going to like some of this. Hopefully you will as much as I do. And maybe it can educate you a little bit. Maybe you can gain some knowledge and some wisdom of, of some of the word of the Lord, the Bible, that maybe you have yet to see. And then maybe it can encourage you all at the same time. Turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter number 1. Acts, chapter number 1. And we're going to look at verse number 3. And we have these for your viewing, and we're going to work through Acts chapter 1, verse 3. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now, let's just stop right there with verse number 3, and let's break that down to make sure all of us are tracking Together, The Bible says that he showed himself alive. Why is this important? Uh, it wasn't but just several weeks ago that we celebrated Easter in our Christian faith. And what we are reading here simply says that Christ was crucified. He was placed into a tomb. He was resurrected on, as what we call Easter dawn on that Easter morning. He was resurrected three days later. Now what's interesting is if you're not careful, you will think that that's the whole story of Jesus. But the cool thing is that after he was resurrected, Jesus went back to spend time with all of those that had been following him. And it says that he showed himself alive after his passion. That word passion is not necessarily that same word that you may have for a sport or for some type of entertainment. It's really wrapping up the life, death, and burial of Christ in that one word. Maybe you remember the movie, The Passion of Christ. It's the story of his life wrapped up in that one word, which is pretty passionate. Can I have an amen? So after his death and burial he, and his resurrection, he showed himself alive. And here is a big, big key point to our time today. It was for 40 days. For 40 days, you may think, well, that's an odd number. It's a very important number that we're going to learn about today. For 40 days, he showed himself to them. And he gave them proofs of his resurrection, that he was alive. And then it was interesting. It says, in speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and then verse number four reads, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he 
you've heard this of me. Now let me help you here. The promise of the Father was the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. But what Jesus is emphasizing when he says, uh, ye have heard of me, what he is saying really goes back to the book of John, chapters 14, 15, and 16. There was a lot of material in the book of John, chapter 14, 15, 16, that talks about the coming or the day that will take place in the future that the Holy Spirit was going to be poured out. Now, if you really want to get cool with this, we can even go back to John the Baptist. John the Baptist even said uh, that, that he was baptizing unto repentance and that he was going to baptize Christ, which he really felt awkward about. He didn't think he was worthy to do that. And he said, but there's, you know, Jesus is coming and he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost. Now, John made reference of the of the days to come of the Holy Spirit. And now we have Jesus making that same statement. And let's wrap this up with verse 5. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Now, what I want to spend some time with this morning, because as Pastor Ron has mentioned uh, very briefly in our announcement time, today's a real cool day for the Christian church. Christians all over the world, whether they be of, of, of one denomination or another, it is Pentecost Sunday. And a lot of you may not know what that is. And unfortunately, I think there's a few of you that you think you know what it is, but you really don't know what it is. Have you ever been around somebody that thought they knew something and you knew that they didn't know something? And at some point, you just kind of roll with them long enough till you've had enough and you said, I just really need to tell you something. You have no clue what you're talking about. Have you ever been with that, somebody like that? Uh, all of you wives, you know what I'm talking about. All of us guys, we think we know what we're talking about. And then, you know, after 15 years, she tells you in Spanish, you don't have a clue what you're talking about. And the truth is, she's right. I don't have a clue what I'm talking about. But this is what I do know because of study, because of time, because of desire for knowledge of the word of the Lord. I really want you to understand these terms called Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, and this big one called today's special day, this day of Pentecost. Because it may not be what you thought. And, and it's important that we're all caught up on what we're talking about, okay, with this word Pentecost. So how I want to do this is I want to go back into history in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament. And I want to show you how the New Covenant or the New Testament, how Jesus fulfilled that which was in the Old. Now, this is going to be kind of cool if you'll just hang with me while I get there. But I want to give you an understanding of what I mean by Jesus fulfilling something from the old. Matthew chapter 5 and 17. These are, this is Christ himself. He says, think not that I am come to. Everybody say the word destroy. I don't want you to think I've come to destroy the law or the prophets. Now I'm going to take a time out right there. If you're not careful, you can be so against the law. You can be so anti-legalism, which... It's okay to be against legalism. But you can be so anti-legalism that you don't think that anything of the law pertains to you. And what Jesus is saying is, 
I didn't come to destroy the law and the prophets, which is basically the old covenant. The first portion of your Old Testament deals with the law. The second half deals with the prophets. He's saying, I didn't come to destroy that. You can't throw out the baby with the bathwater. What I've come to do is to fulfill it because there's been many, many, many years people have been trying to fulfill the law and it can't be done. I've just come to satisfy God. Woo! Man, if you were texting, you missed it. If you were dozing, you missed it. If you were looking for a peppermint, you missed it. Put that peppermint up. And God forbid you chewing gum in this house. I'm legalistic and I'll throw you out if I get gum underneath these pews. I'm just messing with you. He says, no one can fulfill the law. I've come to satisfy God's desire because you can't cut it. All these years, you've been, you've been slacking. You can't meet the requirements to satisfy the law. But I've not come to do away with the law. The law's not silly. The law's not goofy. The law's not a waste of our time. You just can't satisfy it yourself. So I'm going to step in, and I'm going to make it fulfilled. I'm going to fulfill. I'm going to satisfy what you've been trying to satisfy. You with me? So all I want to do for a few minutes is show you how he satisfied a few cool things. Not all of them. We don't have time to go all of them. But there's three things in particular. And they were things called feast. It's something that some of y'all obviously have been doing some of lately. Feasting. And um, <laughs> I'm sorry. So, y'all just now catching it. Dude's like, man, I better put that peppermint up. Watch this. There was three particular feasts in the Old Testament that I want to talk about. It's the Feast of Passover. It's the Feast of Pentecost. And it's the Feast of Tabernacles. And I'm going to talk about these individually, and then we're going to see how they apply today, if they do. And I think you're going to see that they do. The first one, Feast of Passover. Here's where we all have to catch up, because some of you are new to your Christian faith, and it's totally cool that you may not be aware of all that I'm talking about. That's, that's because you're, you're new to your Christian faith, which excites me. It's, I take delight in helping someone understand more about Christ. So don't feel bad today. And God forbid if anybody in here thinks you know everything because you don't, all right? So all of us need to become students for the next few minutes. You with me? So the Feast of Passover, the children of the Lord were in slavery. They literally were in slavery. They were beaten. They were mistreated. And God wanted them to be delivered and set free from that. Well, to to speed the process up, to speed the story up, the history of this this feast, there was uh, what the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, refers to as an angel of death. And uh, it's not a motorcycle gang. It's, It's not a movie on HBO. There was an angel of death that would pass over, would pass through, and was gonna literally suck the life out of the families that were not protected. There was all, God's always, always provided a way out. Man, I can preach all day about this. I'm telling you from day one, he's never left us without a way out. Even in the harsh climate of slavery, God said, listen, I'm going to help you out. If you want your life to be spared, 
I want you to take the little life of a perfect little spotless, clean little lamb. And I know it sounds kind of odd, but the way this is going to go down is you're going to take this life of the little lamb. You're going to slit its throat. You're going to take its blood, and you're going to mark it on your house. And when that angel of death comes by, every house that's got that blood marked on it, that angel of death can't touch you. But if you choose to disobey me, and you choose to try to do it your own way, if you choose to kind of just try to think, maybe it's a myth, maybe it's not going to happen, maybe you don't want to trust this. If you choose to let your house be uncovered, get ready. What he was really doing was looking for who was going to obey and trust him. So there were some that chose to obey. Here are a few characteristics about that process that's important for you to catch. And I know it's antiquated in its language. Yes, we do not practice the law any longer. Why? Jesus fulfilled it. Thank the Lord there's no more little animals dying. But the principle behind it is still important. So here's the characteristics of the Passover. You with me? The lamb, was, was its life was taken early in the morning. This is the feast of Passover. The Passover lamb was sacrificed in the morning time. If you were to really get down and study this, it was actually theologians think around that 9 a.m. hour. And then the lamb would have been placed in the oven in the afternoon. Because remember, that night after they were spared, they were going to feast and celebrate this. So this was a preparation for a meal. You with me? And it was placed in the oven in the afternoon. Again, if you really wanted to get nitty gritty, it was around 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And that's, I want you to know that because of where we're going. The purpose of this little lamb having to die and the purpose of its blood being placed upon the house was to show that house had been covered of sin. Meaning all of their disobedience was covered by that one act of them obeying and putting that blood on that house. That house was now marked as a house of obedience. You tracking with me so far? Okay, Pastor Tommy, that's all cool. But what, how are you going to try to modernize this and make this catchy today? Most of the time you're all funny, you're telling jokes, and we all love it. I'm sleepy right now, right? So how do we make this cool? Well, let me show you what Jesus did. And I'm going to take my liberty and use the word improve. Fulfill could really mean improve. Jesus did this and some. You ready? In the New Testament, the feast of the Passover was fulfilled by Jesus Christ himself. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 says that Jesus was the Passover lamb. We also know that John said, Behold the Lamb of God that's come to take away the sin of the world. Now, are y'all ready for something cool? On the day of Passover in the New Testament, we call it Good Friday. It's more than just a day off of school. Unless you're in the Burleson ISD, you got to make up that day. It's more than just Good Friday, a day off of school. 
little political stab I just took. Yeah, I took it. You ready? Check this out. On that day, the Lamb of God, the Passover Lamb, the spotless Lamb, would go up and above what this could ever do. His life was taken. It was slain. And if you really want to get really down and nitty gritty, it really wasn't even taken. He laid his life down. Unlike the lamb in the Old Testament that didn't have a choice, Christ, his death was so amazing that he made the clear decision, even in struggle, he gave in to the will of the Father and he laid his life down in the morning. And some believe in Scripture that it was at 9 a.m. exactly. And then his life was placed into the tomb, or his body, rather, was placed into the tomb in the afternoon. If you study in your New Testament Gospels, three o'clock in the afternoon, he was placed into the tomb. Do you see the similarities? The Passover lamb was sacrificed in the morning. The Passover lamb was put in the oven in the afternoon. In the New Testament, Jesus was sacrificed in the morning and he was put in the tomb in the afternoon time. In the Old Testament, the feast of the Passover, they celebrated this because that sacrifice of that little lamb, it covered, it marked their houses as a house of obedience and their sin was covered. It was painted over, covered, disguised, seemed to be a house without sin. But yet when Jesus died, his blood, because why? He was not a lamb that was drugged to the altar. He laid it down, which made his blood shed even greater than his blood does more than this little lamb could ever do. When Jesus died, his blood removed sin. So therefore, it wasn't a masquerade of righteousness. His blood literally took out the sin of the world. Come on, somebody. So now we're not having plastic surgery on a body that's falling apart to make it look good. We have a new body. Christ's blood did not just kind of make something that was ugly pretty. It just made it again another, as the prophet said. It was made again another. Now watch this. They celebrated that day of Passover for years. They would stop and remember. They would teach their children, their grandchildren... There was a day that there was an angel of death that came over. But thank God for granddad Harry because he obeyed. And he put the blood on our house. And that's why we're all here today at the family reunion. Now we celebrate Good Friday because all of us can stop and remember what Jesus did and now we have a family reunion called the church because of the blood of the lamb, the Passover lamb. Somebody say amen. 
But there was a second feast. That second feast was called the Feast of Pentecost. Again, what are these feasts? What are these holidays? It's just something that happened in their lives that they choose to remember. Something big happened, so they put it on their calendar. Everybody that had a birthday party within the last few years, raise your hand. You poor, pitiful people, you need to have yourself a birthday party. Go to Golden Corral, get you a plate of food or something. We do things to remember good times. Anniversaries, birthdays. You know what I'm saying? These people, something good happened on a day that they just named. Stay with me. They named it Pentecost, and there's a reason for it. Remember Passover. Well, 50 days down the road, here they are. They've been spared because of the blood was on their house, and now they're free. They're delivered, and they're doing their thing. They're trying to follow after God. And here comes a day. They were at a mountain. We're going to act like this platform is a mountain. We're going to name it Sinai, okay? And here is their preacher. His name is Moses. And Moses says, everybody stop. We're here at the mountain. Everybody find a shade tree. I'm going to go up on the mountain and pray. So Moses goes up on the mountain and prays. And if you've ever seen the movie Ten Commandments, it was a crazy time. Because God sends fire. And he sends loud noise. And he carves the law on the side of the mountain. And then the mountain breaks and there's tablets of stone. And there's the law. And Moses is with God. And everything is great. Until he looks down the mountain and all of his church went crazy while the preacher was up praying. While the preacher's up praying and having this moment with God, everybody down here, they're like melting their necklaces and the rings and they make a little golden cow. And they say, who needs a preacher when you got a golden cow? So they make it, they melt it, they're stirring it up. Oh, that don't look like a cow. That looks like a pig. Put it back in. It needs to be a cow. And they stir it up a little bit longer and they make themselves a little God. And they all get together and the grandkids are saying, but granddaddy, this ain't right. You told us not to pray to a golden cow. I know, but this one's cool. It's a longhorn. It's cool. <laughs> so they spend time praying around the golden cow. Meanwhile, Moses is up just trying to hear a word from God. Well, this disobedience turns crazy. They start fighting with each other. They start calling each other names. And out of nowhere, because of this crazy group of people that just got spared 50 days earlier by the death angel, God says, I've had enough, man. I'm trying to find somebody that can just obey me. And the earth splits open wide and 3,000 people die all over a dumb golden cow. When Moses comes down, he's like, wow, we've had a church split. Not everybody's here that was here. What happened to Joe and Susie? They're gone. I had no idea that would be so funny. That just kind of came out. The other day I was... (laughs) The other day I was in my office and counseling somebody, and, and, and before they left, they said, can I just ask you something totally off topic? I said, sure, you can ask me whatever you want. I've been just kind of curious. I just want to know. I said, what? What's up? What's up? Do you, like, make up those jokes on the fly on Sundays? That was totally on the fly, but it was good. So he comes down, and now we, what we have, you got to catch this. This is so good. What we have now is another 
smaller core group that has chosen to obey, okay? That's what we've done. We've weeded it down even further to those that really wanted to obey, those that really meant business. So Moses comes down, and on that day, God established Israel. In that big event, God established Israel. Now, you may say, okay, I'm ready for the other side. How is it fulfilled in the New Testament? Okay, let's go back to Good Friday. In our New Testament, let's go back to Good Friday. Let's go back to the day that Christ died. When was his life laid down? Early in the morning, placed in the tomb in the afternoon, resurrected three days later. Okay, here's your big word of the day. Here's where some of you are really gonna have a light bulb moment. It's the word Pentecost. Pentecost. Okay, now check this out. Pentecost in the Old Covenant, the feast, it was 50 days after the angel of death went through. Well, in the New Testament, it was seven weeks, 49, plus one day, 50 days after the Passion. Jesus was with them in his new living body for 40 but then he went to the mountain of ascension and preached his last hellfire and brimstone sermon and said here's my sermon of the day before I take flight to go sit at the right hand of the father and that sermon is go to Jerusalem wait there till you be endued with power you've been hearing me for 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 years now I've been telling you there's something awesome going to happen it's called the outpouring of the holy spirit but you got to be there to experience it and sure enough 50 days after his passion a little group of men and women were gathered together in prayer doing what just obeying they did they weren't doing anything special they were obeying They were obeying. That's all it was. They were obeying. And just as he did in the Old Testament, God was looking for a group of people that would just obey. And when you obey, good things come. And the Spirit of the Lord was poured out. But what about that word Pentecost? I'm still not following you. All right. The word Pentecost is two Greek words. The first of which is pente, P-E-N-T-E, and it means five. Cost, K-O-S-T-E, unlike our English in the Greek, it's K-O-S-T-E, and it means to the tenth, five to the tenth, fiftieth. There were some real creative people at Mount Sinai that said, if we're going to remember this day, we need a name. Well, why don't we name it Mountain? No, that's not a good one. Why don't we name it Church Split? No, that's not a good one. Let's just name it something that we can all agree on. Well, you know, it's been 50 days since that angel came by and took Cousin George because they didn't put the blood on their house. How many days? It's been 50 if I'm right. Is that right? It's been 50? Yeah, it's been 50. Well, let's just name this Pentecost. And we'll always remember the day the law was given and we'll call it Pentecost. And every year from here on, we'll stop and we'll celebrate Pentecost. And here we are today, and there's been such an abuse and a misrepresentation and crazy stuff that's been linked to the word Pentecost that no one knows really what it means anymore. And the real true understanding of Pentecost is just 50. So um, uh, for all of you that are kind of scared of that word Pentecost, 
why are you scared of the number 50? I don't get it. Because I'm going to be 50 in 10 years. Should I be terrified about that? <laughs> what I'm really concerned is all of y'all strutting around celebrating 50 years of marriage. Is it that bad to be scared of 50 years of marriage? 50. That's all it is. Pentecost means 50. Now, I grew up in a church that for the first several years of my life, just out of innocence, you know how kids are. Kids just think what they want to think. I thought my religion, I thought my religion was Pentecostal. Until I grew a little older did I realize my religion was Christian. And I happened to attend in Louisiana a church that believed in the Pentecostal experience, meaning that they revered the Passover and they honored the day of Pentecost when the Spirit of God was poured out. It was so bad for me growing up, I didn't even know it was Pentecost. I thought it was Pentecost. Because in South Louisiana, we don't really know English. And when I would hear the word Pentecost, I thought they were saying Pentecost. So people would ask me, what religion are you? I'm Pentecost. And then it only made sense to be Pentecost because during the offering, all the little kids, their parents would give them a penny for them to take to the altar and give in the offering, they would give pennies. And dude, I was like 39 before I realized that wasn't penny cost. And they would say, what religion? I'm penny cost. What's that? I don't know. It cost a penny to be a part of it. I thought we just pennied our way into heaven. Like some of y'all. That was good. Woo. All on the fly. I'm on my A game up in this house today. All on the fly. Oh, man. That was too good not to just dismiss. How are you going to outdo that? Pentecost. It's just a number. It's 50. And how it was fulfilled in the New Testament was 50 days after his passion, God kept his word to a group of obedient people, and he poured out his spirit. Now, let's talk about the characteristics. In the Feast of Pentecost in the Old Testament, a cloud descended with a loud noise and fire. Well, in the book of Acts, chapter number 2, it says there came, in verse chapter number 1 and verse chapter number 2, it came a loud noise and there was fire. Very similar to the Feast of Pentecost in the Old Testament. On the second one, uh, in the fulfillment era, the Holy Spirit wrote the law on our hearts. So now we don't have a manual of to-do list that we got to carry around and we test our children on, okay? But after Passover and, and, and whenever you have Pentecost in your life, the law is written on your hearts. It's not just on concrete or on tablets of stone. And then what's really cool that I take delight in sharing with you today is that in the Old Testament at the day of Pentecost at Mount Sinai, all those disobedient people, there were 3,000 people that died. 
But in the book of Acts chapter number 2, because of obedience, 3,000 people were added to the church. It's pretty cool stuff. Now, in the Old Testament, at the Feast of Pentecost, God established the nation of Israel because there was a small group of obedient people that stayed with the church. Well, in the New Testament, that's where God established what is known as the New Testament church. That is where, and you can do any kind of study you want. If you'll study the book of Acts, that was the conception. That was the birth of the church. Isn't it pretty cool? Let's clap our hands to the Lord this morning. So unfortunately, a lot of people are unclear on what Pentecost is. I had a friend of mine recently, he sent me a text. I told this in the first service, and it was so true. Uh, a friend of mine texted me and said, you grew up Pentecostal. And, and I hit him, yeah. And he said, man, I'm watching a documentary about you guys. And I thought, that's cool. What channel? I flipped over there, and them dudes were touching snakes. Let me tell you something. I would, let me tell you right now, somebody has jacked that word up and made it crazy. If, if being a Pentecostal is going to be touching a snake, I'm going to be the best Episcopalian in town. Son, call me Father Tommy. And we're going to be down at St. Manny's on Saturday. Because... Father Tommy don't play no snake games. But what's crazy is people have linked that word to so many goofy things. They've made it so silly. Pentecost is not tambourines and crazy people and, and weirdness. Unfortunately, there's some crazy people in that, but there's some crazy people down at St. Manny's. You know what I'm saying? Are you following what I'm saying? The real true understanding of Pentecost in the Old Testament was a feast at the mountain of Sinai where the law was given and the nation of Israel was established. In your new covenant, the day of Pentecost was 50 days after the passion of Christ when the Holy Spirit was poured out in what they called the upper room. It was just a room designated where these men and women would be praying. Obedient men and women. That's the big word, man. That's what words always gets lost. It gets, it's, it gets left out. They were obedient to a sermon preached by Christ himself and they obeyed and they reaped the benefits of their obedience. That's all it is. Now let's hit that third feast before we come back to the terminology of Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit. The third feast is the Feast of Tabernacles. Feast of Tabernacles. Now, in the Old Testament, when they left that mountain, remember now, we got the little remnant of people, the little group of people that chose to stay. Now they leave because they've got their map. They've got the law. They've got the instructions. So they leave there, and the preacher's leading them. All right, nobody, nobody murder. Nobody lie. And he's leading his little group, his little church through the wilderness. And they didn't just go straight to where they were going. The Bible says they wandered around. They wandered around. For 40 years they wandered around. They were living in temporary tents. They'd pitch a tent at night. Then they'd move the next morning. And, and they were only doing this because they didn't have Siri. They didn't have GPS. They had fire and they had clouds. And they would move. And God always gives you a way out. So he kept leading them. And they finally made it to their final home, which was called the promised land. And when they finally made it, they, we need to remember 
this. And the word tabernacle comes from everybody gather in. Everybody come in here. Everybody get tight. Everybody tabernacle. We've made it. But we can't forget what we've been through to get here. Y'all remember the angel? The Passover angel? Y'all remember that mountain experience with the fire and the wind and all that? Well, here we are. We finally made it. And we're always going to remember this. It's tabernacle together. You ever heard churches called tabernacles? It's just a gathering together of people. And they celebrated in the harvest season. It happened to be the season of harvest. This is also known as the Feast of Trumpets. Because there was a great celebration of finally arriving where they've always wanted to be. Now let me share with you some cool stuff on the fulfillment of this particular feast. Here's the big one. It's not yet totally, completely fulfilled. Because we are still living on a temporary earth. Paul says we're like aliens and strangers. Some of the old timers used to sing songs like, this world's not my home. I'm just passing through. Are you tracking with me? So it's not completely fulfilled because we've yet to make it to our final home, which is heaven. But there in heaven, we will tabernacle together as a family of God. From China, from Turkey, even from Beauregard Parish in Louisiana, believe it or not. There's a few down there going to be saved. Maybe even out of the Pentecost group. But we're going to tabernacle together. How are we going to know when it's happening? Well, one of the great most overlooked signs of the coming of the Lord is the great harvest of people right before we hear a trumpet sound and the return of Christ comes to, to rapture the church out. There'll be a great revival, a great coming in of lost ones to say, I want to believe. What are they coming to believe? They're coming to believe that the Passover lamb paid the price for sin. They're coming to believe that heaven is real and they want to make heaven their home. And we'll hear a trumpet sound and the church will rise to meet him in the air. It's going to happen. And this feast is yet to be completely fulfilled. But trust me, it's going to happen. How many of you want to make it to that day? Amen. Amen. So let me, let me wrap this up today with just a few quick points. And I'm going to try to do this a little quicker than I did in the earlier service. Let me give you a reason why you can't overlook the second feast, the one in the middle. Most of us are okay with the feast of Passover. We know that we are lost without Jesus Christ in our lives. We're cool with the fact that Jesus fulfilled or improved on what that little lamb did in the old days, we know that he was the spotless one that laid his life down. And if you're that cool with that, I know the reason because you want to make it to heaven. So you're cool with the Feast of Tabernacles. You're okay with going to heaven. Can I have an amen? But it's that one in the middle. It's that feast in the middle that kind of stumps us because we've seen too many crazy people. We've heard too many crazy stories. And we don't want to associate with crazy people. So we keep it at arm's length. And we're not real sure about it. But let me tell you something. 
There's something special about the sweet spirit of God that don't, you can't afford to allow a few crazy people and a few crazy experiences to keep that at arm's length. God is supernatural and he desires you to live a supernatural life. But here is the ultimate number one reason that you should consider celebrating and fulfilling the Feast of Pentecost in your personal life. Because it's at Pentecost, it's at the baptism of the Spirit, where you can now live righteously. I'm fixing to help some of you. You're fixing to have a light bulb moment. I didn't say become righteous, because you can't do that. The only way you can be made righteous is by putting your faith in the grace of Jesus Christ and accepting that that Passover lamb has fulfilled what God has required. If you put your faith in the grace of Jesus Christ, you've been made right positionally with God. But now you must live righteously. And this is what I've witnessed through the years of serving in the kingdom of the Lord in a role of a pastor. So many people come to Jesus and they feel their need for a Savior and they repent of their sins and they go to work on Monday and they're facing the same problems that never went away. They're facing the same temptation that never stops. And because of, of their flesh and their carnality, what happens is they turn away from the church, they turn away from Christ, and they just go back to living however they choose to live because they're lacking equipped, they're lacking equipment, they're lacking empowerment, they're lacking fervency, they're lacking wisdom, they're lacking understanding. They just know that they needed Jesus in their life. And am I ever grateful for that? But here's the thing. Jesus makes you right with God. The death, burial, resurrection, the good news makes you right. But the Holy Spirit in your life, it gives you the ability to live righteously. All of us know what money is. If I give Stephanie $100, I just really helped her out. But you know what's going to be better than me giving her just 100 That Gordon behind her would help her manage her $100 and help her understand how to save some of it, how to give some of it, how to spend some of it. He could be her help her her helper along the way with her $100. Jesus paid the price. He settled the debt. He got us back in the black. He's the one that put us back on top. But the Holy Spirit in our lives helps us manage what Jesus did for us. Somebody ought to get excited about what I'm talking about this morning. Not only does he help you live righteously, but the Holy Spirit lets you live supernaturally. Supernaturally. You've heard me preach about it a lot lately. It's just above the natural. You can be a believer in Jesus Christ and still go to work and try to make it as a family and try to make it as a businessman or woman by everything you see and by everything you know. The Holy Spirit takes you to another plane. It gets you to another level. It, it really is tied to faith because now you don't just try to live by everything you see and by everything you know. 
I liken it to my relationship with my own children. Watch this. If I am not helping my daughter make some choices about things that she doesn't understand, she's going to make choices based on her level of understanding and by what she sees. And the next thing you know, she's going to be hurt in life. But I can offer her some understanding that's higher and more above her natural intellect at just eight years old. I have not truly infinite, but in her world, her daddy is strong, her daddy's smart, her daddy's experienced. And I am compared to her eight years of living. Now think about us. We're really trying to be daddies. We're really trying to be businessmen. We're really trying to, to, to live this life in marriages without the help of the Holy Spirit. No wonder we're fussing. No wonder we're broke. No wonder we're hurt. No wonder we're frustrated. Jesus never intended you to live life by everything you know and by everything you see. He says there's a greater way. It's an above the natural way. It's super than the natural, but it can only come from the supernatural. And you can live a supernatural life. Everybody listen. You can live a supernatural life without all the goofiness. You can have physical healings in your body without the goofiness. There was a lady in our first service this morning that shared this with me just this past Thursday. She's been diagnosed with Parkinson's several months ago. And she's been shaking for months. And Thursday, she was laying in her bed and she started citing. She started reciting scriptures that she's memorized in her life. And, and the question came, do you want to be made whole? And she said, yes. And, and, and this was in prayer, laying in her bed, not at the altar, Laying in her bed, not in front of a whole group of people to make a spectacle out of herself, laying in her bed. She said yes to the word of the Lord, and something supernatural's happened. She's not shaken since Thursday. Now, you might say, oh, I'm sure it's the med. You might say, I'm not sure if that happened. And here is the truth of where we find ourselves today. You have a choice to go on and live your life as natural as you want. But God gives you another option. God gives you another way. And it's to live a supernatural life. And let me tell you something. It doesn't have to be silly. It doesn't have to be goofy. It doesn't have to be a spectacle for the whole world to mock and laugh at. You can have a relationship with the Holy Spirit and the privacy of your own life. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit doesn't have to happen down at the Fort Worth Convention Center when some famous preacher comes to town. The baptism of the Holy Spirit can literally come in the break room while you're all alone if you would just ask him for it. And you can have your life changed forever. And my last point today, my last point today is my biggest closing point. And if our worship team can come help me quickly. He wants to empower you not to just live righteously and live supernaturally. But here's the big one. Bruise the ribs of the one next to you and say, this is the big one. Y'all a bunch of pansies, you didn't even nudge them. I was wanting to see a knockdown drag out of him. Tell him this is the big one. The baptism of the Spirit is for you to fulfill 
your mission. This is my biggest pet peeve with the lack of teaching growing up for my personal life. The baptism of the Spirit is not for your personal entertainment. Some of you come to this church from some of the great local churches of denominational worlds around us. And I'm so thankful you're here today. But one reason that some from the different denominations keep an arm's length at something like the Pentecostal experience is because it's just emotional and it's, it's just a bunch of fanatics and it's chill bumps and goosebumps and weird stuff. You want to know why it's like that? Because a lot of people have completely misunderstood what the purpose of the Holy Spirit is. It's not for that. It's not for that at all. So please give me your attention for a moment. It's not for you to feel good about anything. Now, I want to be very careful. I am not mocking at all the good feelings that you have with God. That's not my point. Because I know that in prayer, there can be some good feelings. And I'm not mocking that. But there's a deeper purpose of the Holy Spirit than good feelings. Good feelings are just part of come with it. You tracking with me? Let me tell you the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because you've got a mission. You've got a job to do that's too big for just you. You've got neighbors on your left and on your right. You've got kids in your own house. You've got co-workers that need Jesus Christ. And you're never going to have the ability to reach everyone you want to reach for Christ on your own. You need to fuel the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. When you're at your place of work, when you're spraying those houses with that chemical to kill their bugs, when you're cutting that hair, when you're selling that car, when you're closing that deal at the insurance office, when you're performing surgery doctors and when you're helping the doctors, nurses, when you're doing whatever it is you do, if you're going to be the witness to those around you, you're going to need the Spirit of God in your life. And the true purpose of the Holy Ghost coming upon you is exactly what the book of Acts tells us. And they went about in that apostle's doctrine. And they had revival, reaching lost people for Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you to do something today. And for all of you clock watchers, would you find it in your heart to forgive me for preaching so long? I'm going to ask you to stand. And here's the big request of the day. I would love for everybody to come quick. I know some of you hate that. I know it drives you crazy, but I need you down here. Hey, why don't we just use this? Can we tabernacle together for a minute? Can y'all come tabernacle with me just for a minute? Come tabernacle with me. Tabernacle. Come gather down here with me. This is why I want you close. This is why I want you close. 
We're fixing to do two things, and I promise we're going to go home soon. But I've got to do these two things. Okay? Come close, everybody. I've got to do these two things. There's some of you. There's some of you here today that have yet to stop by the cross. We're going to call this the cross. This is the place of Passover. This is the place where sin took its final breath. This is the place where the debt was paid in full. And Ephesians chapter number two says, it's for by grace that we are saved through faith. If I can help me with my scriptures here. For by grace are you saved through faith. Let me really paint a picture. This is the place that you gotta have faith in. This is the place where grace spills over and reaches out. This is the place where grace sets booby traps and sets, sets little, little snares for the sinner to come to. They get caught and they, they'll just put their faith in grace. This is what Romans chapter 10 says. And I was amazed at the first service how many people just reached out and really said, Pastor Tommy, I really thank you for spending time there. You've helped me. Romans chapter 10, and I want to break this down for a few key words. Romans 10. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. Confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. And shall... Hands, huge, huge, huge word. <laughs> huge word. Guys, this is bigger than what you're thinking right now. I know your mind's on food. Stay with me. Confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. What was that? The Passover, the passion, the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. If you'll confess with your mouth and shall believe in that heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Verse 10. For with the heart, with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness with the heart. And then with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Continue on. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Verse 12. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all. Everybody say, that's me. The same Lord over all is rich. He's able. He's capable. Unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then verse 14. <laughs> I love this. How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? 
It's almost like they're looking for a way out. And God gives them a way out. God says, you've got a preacher. He's got a little plaid coat on today. And you've heard because I've preached it to you. And now the ball's in your court. Will you believe? Will you believe that Jesus Christ, His death, burial, resurrection, and ascension has made the choice possible for you to choose that He fulfilled that feast of Passover? If you'll choose to believe that today, you can have Passover fulfilled in your life. We're not done, but I want to do this quickly. I want you to close your eyes and bow your head. We're not totally finished. But if there's anyone here today and you have never stopped by the cross, you've never placed your full faith in the Passover lamb of the New Testament, the mighty God in Christ paying the full sin debt, if you've never done that in your life, and you recognize today that you are lost without Jesus Christ, would you slip up your hand real quick? I want to pray over you. Right over here. Thank you, sir. Right here. Thank you, ma'am. Leave your hands up. Right here. Right here. Thank you, ma'am. I see your hand. I see your hand right there. Pastor Ronnie, put your arm around that young lady. What about over here? Is there any hands lifted up? Right here. Eric, would you put your arm around that young lady? Right here. Miss Stella, could you... Could you join your faith with this man? Is there anyone else? If you've never taken the step of just stopping by the cross and thanking him for his blood, is anyone in the back? Is that a hand up that there? Thank you. Thank you. God bless you, Pam. Put your arm around her. I want to pray over you, and then we're going to do one more thing before we're going home. Father, I thank you for these that are here this morning that have a hand lifted up. For this is one of the not one of it's the greatest decision they've ever made in their whole life and that is to put their faith their confidence their full assurance in the fact that you have paid it all for them and I ask you right now in the name of Jesus Christ to let that man and woman open up their heart and confess their need of a savior and let them turn from their sin and let them put all of their confidence and the ability of the cross of Jesus Christ. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And let everyone say amen.